Sunny 16 presents. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode three. Very exciting. Episode three. Everyone knows episode three is when you actually get it together, right? Sort of. You had episode one. That was the one you spent all summer working on. Right. Right. Episode two, you had to do under the gun. Episode three, we figured out how to do it. Exactly. Figured it out. I I think we're there. I think we're just about getting to the point where we're almost figuring it out. Right. We haven't gotten jaded. Nope. That's episode four. Nope. 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 (laughs) All I right. have not been recognized outside, just so you know. Okay. No, no you haven't been mobbed by adoring fans? All yeah, right. Well, no fans. you know, it's completely fine. Well, anyway, this is Jeff Greenstein. And I'm Gabe Sachs. And this is I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about camera collecting, brought to you by the gang at Sunny 16 Presents. Yeah. This is episode three, and episode three, our loose topic for today is the other stuff. Yes. Today, we're going to talk about things besides cameras, the other things that we collect, the things that we amass in the course of camera collecting and some of the criteria that go into those choices uh it's a wide-ranging discussion you know are you suggesting that we amass other things other than cameras i'm suggesting that yes i'm looking at the room behind you (laughs) and i would say (laughs) that's why we're a podcast and there's nothing visual involved because people would say he's got issues (laughs) yes so i want to start by talking about this Whenever we talk about camera collecting, we invariably find ourselves focusing on the cameras. We talk about the Nikon F. We talk about the Olympus pen. We talk about the Roloflex. What we don't talk about is lenses. Are lenses exciting? Are lenses sexy? Gabe Sachs, chime in. I... My problem is, first of all, I love very cool-looking lenses. And this this is a problem because... You know what? Not all cool-looking lenses are any good. Like people. <laughs> you know, there's some people that look great, and they're horrible people. And there's some lenses that are the coolest thing ever, and they just have this, you know, the barrel's amazing, and the little gadgets and things attached to it, and they're not so good. But I do like lenses. I really do like lenses, and I... Um, you know, when I when I go to the that crazy one that I got at a great deal, which was the Noctilux, that really changed things for me. I was able to shoot in lower light and go to the other place, you know, you know, a Nikon 51.4, you know, the older version, which is probably 70 bucks or 50 yeah. bucks. I love it just as much. I mean, it's got, really? it just has a feel to me. And for some reason, my negatives just, look better so i do, there are those things about um glass and their you know um it, it, the the way that they pick things up whether it's low light or it's it's a little bokeh which i know you're very sensitive when we talk about <laughs> um I know well, let's that talk about well okay let's talk about form and content for a minute because you started out talking about the physical object right. itself right so tell me about some of like the quirky or delightful or sexy aspects of a lens that draws you to it. I'm curious about that. I think the performance, okay? Let, well, let's oh, talk okay. about the physical. Let's talk about the, the physical. physical object. Talk the to me about physical, the object. If I'm just looking at the physical object, I think a really cool vintage, either chrome barrel or faded black scratched barrel of some that looks really really antique like those large format lenses are the coolest thing ever 
I think that's one of those things that, um, you know, whenever I talk, like even like on Classic Lenses podcast, those guys and and Simon talks about the large format camera. And uh, I think it's the coolest thing. And I don't know a lot about those large format cameras, but they look amazing. And those lenses are the coolest thing ever. Now, when you're using something like the Noctilux, do you have the 1.0 version? Which I have one the do you 1.0 have? version. 1.0. So that is a big chunk of glass. It's a big, hanging big, on the front of your camera. It's a big chunk of glass. It's fat. It's um, but it's amazing. And it feels different, I would imagine, in the hand, like as yes. something to use. You're aware that you're using a very different piece of equipment. Yes, than a you're not going lens. anywhere in disguise. With a Leica M6 and a Noctilux. It's like, it's like, clunk, clunk. Yeah. This is the thing that fascinates me, and I've never used that lens. I have a couple of, like, super fast lenses that I'll talk about in a minute. But you don't get the feedback of the shallow depth of field, obviously, because it's a rangefinder. Right. So you're not looking, you're not going to be able to see the effect. Like, I've seen so many of, I mentioned this last time, I've seen so many of the wonderful portraits that you take with that lens. And I'm always very interested because obviously you have to nail focus with the rangefinder and not really knowing what your... Not at all, right. Not really knowing what your depth of field is going to be, like how much of the plane of focus, is, exactly. how much plane of focus is going to be. Exactly. And the way, I mean, I, the way that I came ac- across that lens, because I, I was just learning about Leica and stuff like that, and I was doing a short film, and bizarrely enough, the guitar player for the police, Andy Summers, was in our A renowned show. photographer. He had, he had no yeah. lines. He had very few lines that are in the little short, and he really got me into these lenses. And so he had... Talk about camera collecting. He said when he, you know, when you see a catalog for cameras and it and it has everything on the front, he would just order all of it. So <laughs> he was on the road and they were right. touring and it was, it's a cash business, t-shirts and all that stuff. And he yeah. loved photography and he would just order it and then he'd come home and he'd have boxes and boxes of cameras. Right. And so one day he said, I want to show you this lens. And so I'm over at his place and and he's rattling in these camera bags as if we were looking for keys in a box full of keys. Like, wow. crunch, 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 bang, bang, bang against each other <laughs> as if there was like 20 cents worth of stuff. And I go, what are you doing? And I look in there and it's all these lenses. And he's just rattling. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Goes through, goes through. And he finds his Noctilux. And he uh, shows me some stuff with it. And he shows me, you know, sort of how to work it and... And I dreamt of that lens. And I told you, you know, last time it's, you know, this journalist happened to sell it to me. But that lens is, uh, you, you really get the hang of that lens. You really do. It's something that when, you know, look, F1 is a really tough one. And if you are focusing, you know, I've been in a bar or a dark restaurant or something like that, and you will still get something magical and you will try your hardest to nail focus. And it's but you very primarily difficult. you shoot it wide open. The point of having that lens is to shoot. Yeah, it. but I I'm still shooting it at you know one two two. You know I'm going. I mean I I've shot some at one. It's very difficult, but when you get it, it's worth it. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I have a couple of. I mean, let's see. Okay, to talk about the physical object for a minute, I have mentioned, and I'll talk about this a little bit later. I rarely am drawn to the physical characteristics of a lens. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is a podcast, so I can't really share this visual. Maybe we'll link to it when we have show notes to share. 
My favorite lens is the 50 millimeter 1.9 Kern Macro Switar that comes with the Alpa. Wow. And it has a very sexy feature on it. It's got, like the Kern Cinema lenses, it has these orange dots. Can you see this? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a depth of field scale that's built into the barrel of the lens. And as you stop down, these dots light up on either side to show you your depth of field. In other words, instead of with most lenses, you're looking at lines that are printed on the barrel. In this one, there are holes in the barrel. And as you turn the thing, little orange spots light up to show you. That to me is extremely sexy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And also it is a lens that requires about five turns of the barrel to get from its close focusing distance, (laughs) which is, let me see, I'm still turning the barrel, 10 inches. Right. All the way to infinity. So it is a lot of work. And I like that. I like you're really aware of the machinery. You're aware of the distance. It's really, I don't know, it's part of the me, the part of the fun of that lens. And of course, the rendering of this lens, the color rendering and so forth, it's just like nothing else I've used. And I like being able to shoot macro, by the way. I like having a normal lens that is like a stealth macro lens, where like when you want to go really tight on something, plant photography i don't really take pictures of my food but plant photography (laughs) i was out in the backyard and a house fly showed up and i was able to get like really really close on this fly and stuff i like being able to use a macro lens for that nice i do have some of those like super fat i don't have a noctilux my fastest lens is the canon fd 85 millimeter 1.2 got it which is another huge chunk of glass i mean it's about the, the body of the lens is about the size of a softball. It's very large. <laughs> right. And you are really aware of its kind of light-collecting abilities when you use it. But I love working with that very, very shallow plane of focus. It's really fun. Yeah, I, I mean, they're, you know, I, I, I will admit that I was at a point where I would look at lenses and go, I would, like, scoff at it if it was like a, you know, oh, you have a 3.4. <laughs> <laughs> whatever yeah i was really for no reason whatsoever like not not knowing what that lens could do or anything but i'd say you know someone say oh this is a 135 f4 and i go oh no 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 (laughs) i can't be bothered with that (laughs) that's ridiculous ridiculous there's plenty of great lenses that are f4 lenses and i was like oh that's ridiculous it's in you're insulting me um so yeah so so i would mostly look for F2, F2.8 was stretching, but I did it. Yeah. And uh, that's that's how I would look at lenses. But my problem is they're just, you know, there's so much information out there. And there's amazing, like, again, I, I keep mentioning that, but at classic lenses, when they're yeah. talking about the science of lenses, it's stuff you don't think about or stuff I don't think about. Like, I just, no. you know, curvature and, you know, on and on and on. I just don't. I really don't right. know enough about it, but I'm fascinated with it. When yeah. you talk about it, I go, oh my gosh, there's so much work that went into this thing. I should pay yeah, more attention. The other thing, okay, so I do like lenses that where the industrial design is interesting. I like really fast lenses. And the third thing I like, and I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I love pancake lenses. I really, I have a lot of them. Have we talked about this at all? We have never talked about pancake lenses, okay. and I've okay. never used one, so I'm fascinated. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the first the first one I ever encountered was for the Pentax ME or MX. Right. The length of this lens is maybe less than an inch. Wow. And so it's super compact. And I don't know why. 
they just look super cool to me. And that platonic ideal of the pocketable oh, yeah. camera that is also incredibly versatile. I have an Olympus Pen FT. There's a 38 millimeter 2.8 that's a pancake lens for that that I love. I have even the um, Olympus Pen F Digital that I've got. I have the 20 millimeter 1.7 Panasonic lens, which is a pancake. And also Olympus makes a pancake zoom for that. I think it's a 14 wow. to 42. I just love the shallowness. I right. like that you can put it in the pocket of your winter coat. It doesn't take up a lot of space. And this is going to get to something I'm going to talk about later, which is I don't like neck straps. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> but I like a compact package. Right. And so I'm very drawn to those pancake lenses. Um, Konica makes one. Konica makes a 40 millimeter 1.8 that I just love. It's super cool looking. I don't know. That's the other thing that I've drawn to. I always worry that I... I just don't know, since I don't know about them, I just always look at them and go, could those be any good? Like in my head. I'm just going, that's so small. Like, what can I get with that, with that yeah, lens? Yeah, but it's, right. a, it's a cool, I mean, yeah, it's it's an industrial design challenge, of right. course, trying to make a good lens that's that shallow. And I don't know, as the quality of these lenses is good, I, I really doubt it. I, because you you don't have as large a lens opening, you don't have as much glass and so forth. I just think they're cool. I think yep. they're cool. They're the super narrow barrel. I just, I like working with those. So I have a bunch of them. I even have, there's only one that Nikon ever made, which is a 45 millimeter 2.8 that they, that uh, is the only Nikon lens where the aperture scale goes in the opposite direction. And it goes in the opposite direction because the lens is designed to work with a Nikon flash unit. So there's a whole... When did like, they start got, making got, them? Like are these, are there... This, a, this, ones, is, they... this one's 1970s. Okay. This, yeah. A lot of these lenses are like 1970s lenses. Got it. Um, but I just find them kind of fascinating. I have to try but, them. Yeah. I'm going to have to do cool. it. Yeah. I mean, I assume for Leica collectors, the collapsible lenses are sort of the same thing. Right. They're that, again, that platonic ideal of the collapsible package. But I just, I like a compact camera. You know, for a long time, I was shooting with rangefinders. I like the idea of something you can slip in your pocket. So... I do. I guess the bottom line is just to circle back to where we started. I do find lens collecting a little exciting. Yeah. When sometimes when I want to go out and shoot, and I'm trying to decide whether to shoot with the 85 millimeter on the Olympus OM1 or the 90 millimeter on the Leica, I find myself wondering: Is there any real difference right. between those two things? They're both roughly f/2 lenses, but I just. Again, it speaks to just what the tools bring out in you as a photographer. And and I think that the other thing is I also like exploring lenses that have a horrible reputation. Ah, <laughs> I feel like, okay. Like I what? feel like they're the underdogs, and I feel like yeah. I've got to help them along. And there's some. I just remember when I was first getting into Leica and the the Leica 3F and the 90 and 135. It would, people were like, oh, why would you get that? You know, it was just sort of like, <laughs> I go, because A, it's cheap, and B, I want yeah. to use them. I'm excited to yeah. use them. But I, I think I'm like that with a lot of those lenses where people are automatically saying that, you know, I would you shouldn't use that lens. It's not the quality. But I always find there are lenses you can get stuff out of that are just amazing. That yeah. Are the I like that philosophy that you articulated, that, like, it's, you know, even if the lens has a you know, a bump on the barrel or a scratch on the front element, you're still going to be able to get a really good image out of yep. it. And sometimes you get an even more interesting image out of right. it. Right. And that's what I was talking about, about Frank Ockenfels is like, he will pick up a broken camera. 
he will take yeah. this unbelievable portrait and then hold up the lens and shake it and it'll oh, you know be rattling but amazing. he'll get something beautiful out of it and i feel like that's that's the magic yeah all right let's talk about flash Yes. Do you shoot with flash at all? I can't think of any of your photographs I've seen where you use flash. Do you do that? Well, I do. Let's talk about um, trying to conquer flash, which okay. is always a big problem. Um, here's when I like flash. So I, I used to use the M6 with a flash at a party. With the uh, SF20, like yeah, the Leica on-camera flash. Yeah, on flat. yeah and got it. it would be great to, you know, at a party and get everyone frozen and jumping, yeah. whatever. It was fun to shoot like that and getting those old snaps. I, I thought that was that was a blast. Now, where I get lost and pretend I'm not lost is with strobes. <laughs> oh, okay. And I don't, um, what's, wait a minute, help me with the difference between those two things. Well, one is usually more powerful, which I'm sure someone okay. will say, no, they're not. Um, and, it's you know you what you would see in a studio you know sort of those big oh, studio strobes okay. and, and things like that yeah and i will learn as much as i can about them and still feel like a big ding dong because i cannot figure them out um yeah. i love them but as far as you know a 35 millimeter camera i love that feel of like at a party or that thing the the one that i'm trying to figure out which i'm going to do soon is on the Hasselblad I have a flash that I've never used that came with the camera. No kidding. And well, who made it? Is, is it a... I'm not sure if they manufactured it, but yes, they, it's, okay. it's a Hasselblad flash. Flash. And flash. Flash, which is the French version <laughs> of flash. Um, it, those are very fancy. And I had the... Um, it came with the 501CM, and I really... And it's a great flash. I just haven't used wow. it. Wow. Because, of course, huh. again, nervous to use it, going, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Yeah, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. I typically, I think when I was a kid and I was first learning photography, I loved the little, like, on-camera electronic the flash tubes? The best. Oh, my God. The best. Yes. Yes, and I just, it was very exciting. Well, flash cubes are fantastic. Yeah. I used to figure out, I guess there were two specimens of them. There were the magic cubes, and then there were the standard flash cubes. And you could actually hold up a 9-volt battery to the base of a flash cube and explode yep. it, which was very fun for me. But when I was using some of the early electronic flash, maybe you'd turn them on and you hear that, right. and you'd hear them power up, and yep. you'd have to wait like 15 seconds for the orange light to come on. Electronic flash was very exciting. Yep. And I remember a lot of my early photography working out like guide numbers. Remember having to learn about that craziness? Yeah. Like to set the guide number on the camera and try and make that work. And so I liked that a lot. And I also did, like you said, I liked the look of flash portraits at night. I just, in black and white. There just is a particular look to that that's kind of photojournalistic. And like, I really liked that look. But over time, I kind of fell out with it. Right. And... I did when I got my Leica M6. I got that SF20 flash unit. I think I have used it five times yeah. in 20 years. Right. I just would rather load fast film and get like an interesting uh, look of available light right. than have a flash. I have a couple of cameras. I have a Canon Sure Shot, which is 
this plastic bodied autofocus camera that I love that has a secret half frame mm-hmm. ability, but it has a built in flash. I got the Olympus XA4, which got a, has a flash unit which screws into the side that I use sometimes. But more often than not, I steer away from it. What do you think of the old? I mean, I love those old flashes. I mean, I just am amazed. It's like the ka-chunk and that yes. sound and that feel. And, and just, you know, thinking about old photographers like Ouija and like how do yeah, you know you how are you take you first of all there's so much to do like setting up your camera to take one picture and somehow you're able to capture that moment that yeah. amazes me in the day and when we were doing um we wrote the first um and second diary of wimpy kids and there's a scene in the movie where he's you know in a, bo- a wrestling ring or a boxing ring and uh, you know he's fighting the bully girl, but we had all those flashes, and oh. hundreds and hundreds of bulbs. So it was like, ksh, 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 ksh. and they got all of them. They found they wow. tracked them all down, and they you yeah. can still somehow buy them. Yeah, and yeah. those flashes are incredible. Like I would love to use one of those one day. Yeah, I like. I have a couple of old SX seventy flash bars. Mm-hmm. I like shooting all those with bars. Those. Yeah, yeah, those are super cool. And I do have, I have a flash cube attachment for the Minox. Wow. So I can shoot flash cubes on the Minox C. And, and I love this, I have um, uh, the Polaroid Big Swinger 3000 that I have that uses the old pack film. Right. Uses those little peanut bulbs. Oh, wow. You know, those little peanut bulbs that you like, They it's one flash at a time, you got to throw it away. Right. And so I got, I think it was from Film Photography Project, I got a bunch of those vintage peanut bulbs. Those I kind of love. Yeah. I just, because they make a sound and they crackle a little bit. I, it's I love really that whole cool. feel. I think it's just great. Yeah. But I feel like just in terms of using them, I don't use flash really very much at all. Right. I try and steer away from it. Not a regular thing. Uh, yeah. Now, all right. This brings us to camera bags. Oh, now, boy. we've had a little bit of interaction about this. Mm-hmm. And I take it that you think about camera bags and choices of bags when you're going to be hauling equipment. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. So I belong to Bagaholics Anonymous, which is one of those oh, things wow. that you... Uh, okay. I have such an issue with bags and seeing other bags and going, why are they using that bag? what's so great about that bag and and so i this goes on and on and on and i have piles of camera bags and i think and i really just think it's the collector in me i always think that the perfect bag is out there and it's like the perfect backpack and the perfect bag and the more i'm holding you know heavier equipment i'm really more apt to use um a backpack so I'm always looking at what the newest thing is and why is that, that one looks perfect. So much has to do with looks. And yeah. I will I will search and search. And I was addicted to this one type of bag when I first started. And they were sort of a young company, Fog Bags out of France. And yeah. it was just a comfortable bag. And it was expensive, but it wasn't what it is now, which is crazy. Um, they're very, very expensive. Great bags, great craftsmanship. Um, and, uh, I was addicted to that and then it just went from there and then I'd see someone with a bag and then I'd see someone with a vintage bag and then seen with an old $10 cool Roloflex bag. And so this goes on and on on to the point that occasionally I will order a bag 
that I already have, which is the worst I'm... thing ever. Wow. So I'm fairly <laughs> stunned by this because I don't do this at all. Yeah. At all. Because you have control. No, I just, it's just, I, I think, well, we're going to get a little into this now because my philosophy is the camera should be in your hand at right. all times. No, you're right. You're right. And so when, you know, when I was a kid, when I first started taking pictures, I had that Olympus 35 RC. And as I mentioned, I would carry the Kodak master photo guide and the flash and a couple extra rolls of film filters, close up filters. I had all that in my bag. And so I had this little sky blue Kodak camera bag that I would keep over my shoulder all the time. And I felt very cool doing that. Right. But there was always the steps. Take the camera out of the bag. Take the camera out of its case. Wrap the case back so that you make sure you're not blocking the lens. Put the strap of the... And it would, <laughs> over time, I started to realize, why am I doing this? Right. And so I own exactly one camera bag, which Guess is a what? little... Not just for one. long. Just, oh, I know, I hear this coming. I have piles have for little... you if you'd like to try any bag that's ever been on B&H. You just look them up and I'll be able to bring it to you for free. Unbelievable. I'm stunned. I got to say, this is something, this is just a, I have a little donkey bag mm -hmm. with like three little chambers in it for mm -hmm. when I bring along more than one camera. Because then like I need something over my shoulder. Oh. Or when I bring along like three lenses, I need something I can put all three lenses in. But... My other camera bags are repurposed like, you know, uh, backpacks or shoulder bags or bike messenger bags. My favorite bag to use right now is a Swiss Army bread bag. Have you oh, ever seen one of wow. these? Super cool. It's from, mine is from the 1930s and it's a, it's that salt and pepper yep. canvas yep. and leather. It's waterproof. It looks really cool. That's it's got a so metal great. hook on the inside to hold it together. I sometimes throw my laptop in it and a paperback book and a baseball cap and stuff. That is sort of my default like shoulder bag, but it doesn't look anything like a camera bag. Which it is doesn't probably have any a good padding thing. Because to me, Generally, and maybe this is why most of the cameras I have are smaller, is I just want the thing in my hand yeah. at all times. No, never, I know. Never... And, well, here's the thing. And then I find myself fighting myself. So the last few months I've been using, you know, these backpacks that are like just normal, simple, inexpensive yeah. backpacks. And, you know, I put the camera, the holders inside and it works great. But then I tell myself, this can't work great. This is not fancy. What am I okay. doing? Okay. And the truth is, it's fantastic. So I've been using these backpacks and then I just, I go back to this. I've, I have every backpack, like maybe on when we have our site launch, I will put yes. the um, number of backpacks and the actual kind that I have because it's, it's like a crazy person. I'm... I really want to get further into this yeah. in a future episode and in a really talk session. about, yes, in a therapy session, because that is astounding to yep. me. Yep. And okay, when you have the camera, yep. do you have a neck strap, wrist strap? What do you, okay. what do you? So once you get into the bags and the insanity of that, then you sort of find yourself getting into the strap, you know, insanity. Yeah, yeah and talk to me about that. I really, the more I think about it, because you mentioned this, I prefer not having a strap on the camera. It does sometimes get in the way. I love, yeah. you know, holding the camera with a strap, but I sort of, you know, would go on Etsy and, and see these makers all over the world and sort of an order, 
you know, they weren't crazy expensive, but really, really nice straps. And then I would realize, do I really need this strap on this camera? And yeah. I do love just holding the camera. And I yeah. think that's better. It depends on what location I'm going at, whether I'm going to put a strap on. But it's really, it's a tough one. Yeah, I try to avoid it as much as I can. Right. I mean, this is, I'm going to talk about this camera a little later. The Alpa is very strange because its strap lugs screw into the camera. Like oh, they're wow. removable. Why yep. would you ever want to do that? And the strap itself is ridiculous. It's like a little piece of braided <laughs> leather, like rope, right. more than a camera strap. I like that, but it's very small. You know, yeah. it's more like it's more like you might as well use a shoelace. Right. <laughs> um, I like wrist straps mm -hmm. a lot. I like a wrist strap on the right lug, and I like to have it over my wrist. I got a couple that that kind of slip knotish around the wrist, so if you have to do something else, you can let the camera hang. Right. I also have um, just a really cheap strap that that screws into the tripod mount for a couple of cameras, like the Leica CL doesn't really have proper strap lugs. Right. So I often screw this into the tripod mount. I like like having the camera right at hand, but my favorite thing, and this, I don't think anyone else is on this train, is the belt clip. Stop. You ever done that? Stop. Oh my God, get it, first ready. First of all, it makes the most sense of everything. And I was gonna ask you, what if you're hiking or going down a hill or oh, yeah. going down rikes, you just put it on your belt clip. I had, I first came across one of these with, with my Pentax Auto 110, which admittedly is a very small camera. Mm -hmm. There is a rare and coveted accessory for the Pentax Auto 110, which is a belt clip. And you stick it on your belt, you pull the camera off your belt, you take a picture, stick it back on your belt. Love that. Apparently, and you sent me, I think you remember you sent me the Tamarkin right, right, things right. that didn't sell. They have one for the full-sized oh, Pentax wow. SLR, which I am really tempted to go after because I don't think that they're easy to find. I think they're selling that in the catalog for like 100 bucks. Right. Belt clip, fantastic. But there is this new device, and I got to show you this sometime when we're, next time we're together, called a Scarabaeus. Does that mean anything to you at all? No. This is one of these, like, somebody who was a camera fan and an engineer designed this thing. It's specifically for Leica shooters, but it'll work with any camera with a uh, tripod socket on the right. base plate. It is a detachable belt clip rig for any camera of, like, medium weight. And it's the same. You hit a button on it, and it disengages, snap, 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 snap it back on your belt. I love that. Because then it's like always right at hand. There's no steps. It terrifies me. I'm going to trip because... and fall and crash my camera. <laughs> but you could trip and call, fall with the camera on your neck. No, I throw it up in the air and then do a ah! flip and then catch it gracefully. <laughs> Would never happen the other way. Uh, yeah, I, no, I, I see. I, I just got this thing. I took it on a trip uh, several months ago and went on a hike, actually. Went hiking in Zion National Park with this thing. Wow. Never felt that I was going to lose the camera. Never felt it, like, wobbling on the belt. Really well-designed thing. Not expensive. Worked great. Wow. I'm completely into the belt clip. Which brings me to the third thing. Lens caps. Oh, no. Well, not a lens cap. Yeah, I'm. I'm not quite... A lens cap person and I'm also not um, a skylight filter person so what do you do are you naked I'm mostly I'm I'm mostly naked I will tell you something that's sort of you know is an offshoot of what you're discussing and that's the uh, lens hood 
Yeah, and I, I hear people often use the lens hood. I use the lens purpose. hood, and that's another thing that you can become a crazy person over. Oh, and tell me. There's um, this sort of rectangular lens hood for um, Leica, the 35mm yeah, uh, millimeter too, which is a, yes. you know, a beautiful thing. But And sticks I, into the viewfinder. That's one of the things I love about it. And I, you can and like I see love, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I, I lost one. Was I was given a gift. I lost it, and I was like, oh, I'll just pick up another one. And then I saw how much they were. Yes, and I was like, ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. These are expensive, but it gave me something to hunt for at the camera show. So I eventually found sure. them for very reasonable. But um, I'm not really a lens cap person. I think when I pack things away, I will um, use a lens cap. But I find myself using lens cap more on medium format. So uh, oh, okay. Pentax 6.7, Hasselblad. Yeah. Um, Roloflex, yeah. I'll use a hood. But yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have to remind myself to take a lens hood. I know it's a good thing. It increases contrast, decreases flare, and so forth. So I try to remember to. Right. The one for the uh, the Kern Macro Switar is a very strange spring-loaded object that doesn't look like any other lens hood I've ever seen. And, of course, Alpa being Alpa, it's not compatible with anything else. Of course. So I always have to remember myself to – I always have to remind myself to bring it along. But – one of my favorite shooters is the Leica CL. It's got a rubber lens hood, which is which is which will fold back, yeah. which I yeah. love, and an integral spot for a non-threaded skylight filter or any filter. Oh, really. interesting. So to me, this is the perfect travel camera setup because you've got a lens so that you can fold out at a moment's notice, but you also have a piece of glass there to protect the lens if you want to. Right. I mean, a lot of people say it's sacrilege to have. You've spent all this money on Leica glass. Why are you putting a $20 filter between that and your subject? But right. I do it anyway. Right. I like skylight filters. I like that I can beat them up and throw them away and put another one on. Anything to avoid having a lens cap. It's all about, to me, like having the camera to your eye and shooting <laughs> You're faster. really against those lens claps. I just, anything that slows down that, I don't know, it's just the way I like to shoot, I guess. I just right. don't like anything to impede that process of getting the camera to your eye. Right. You know? I so, understand it. I have a lot of skylight filters. I don't shoot with filters very much. I went through a period of time, particularly when I got into SLR shooting, where I would leave a polarizer oh, wow. on the yeah. camera all the time because that was kind of fun to play mm -hmm. with. But most of the time, skylight all the way. Yep. Like, why not? And, you, and think of how grateful you are when you go to the camera show and you see a lens and it's got a skylight filter. They're selling it with a skylight filter on it and you take it off and the glass is pristine. It's so because funny that you person say that. Never That's took when it off. I love a skylight filter. Yes. I love it when, you, when someone else has used on their entire time else with has. the lens. Then they go, That's perfect. Right. It's ready to come off, but it's protected that yes. lens for a long time. Yeah. Now, do you get into, just to circle back to straps for a minute, do you get into, like, the various, like, strap configurations? Okay, where so it's yeah, like... this is a really interesting, um, this is very interesting. I have a friend who has these really complicated crisscross Yeah, thing I, and, that's what I'm talking and about. Yeah. Um, and he says they are amazing, and he does journalistic. I mean, he's always out shooting, and, and he will you know just grab one here and grab one here and it's, it's just it looks amazing but i would tangle myself in it <laughs> i think that would that would be <laughs> i would tangle myself in it and my cameras would break i it yeah they're fascinating i mean they're very very cool but i have not gotten to, into any of that i've sort of um i did try out the peak design 
which is I've easy to this. adjust and things like that. That's really really cool. Um, but I have not um, I have not gone into the more sophisticated straps for multi camera shooters. Yeah. Do you put a half case on the camera to protect it when you're out shooting, or the bottom half of an ever ready case? I don't, but. I was also fascinated with those at one time <laughs> and uh, was con- was looking all over to find one. And it took me forever to find one at a camera show and did find one and put it on my camera. And it was fantastic and realized I will never, ever use this because then Why I have to take it off. It's like you with the oh, strap. Yeah. I have to take it off, yeah. put the thing in. Da, 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 yeah. and then, um, but they look cool. They do look cool. <laughs> they do look cool. But it isn't, yeah, it's another object, another yeah, object. exactly. All right, let's talk about when you get a new, when you acquire a camera or a lens, um, do you want the manual? Do you, like, do you want either a PDF or a hard copy of the manual for that camera or lens? Yes. Okay. But there's a catch. No, I, um, I, I love to learn all about it. And usually... Um, you know that site online who's great who i actually i send oh money. butkus yeah i send I him mean, money every year you know i i think butkus.org i just think amazing just absolutely find anything there um yes i will usually download you know probably a camera manual a year um and see what it's about like i, I like having it but i actually like having the original like yes. I, I like to go to the camera show and see if they have the original because i love the graphics and i love you know all the pictures involved in telling you how to yeah, use the camera. Yeah, me too. I love I you know for cameras that I love, I even like to like go on eBay and try and find the original like yeah. sales folders and yeah. things like that. I just love that stuff. Because again, yeah, cuz the graphic design, particularly if it's vintage like vintage design that sort of matches the sensibility of the era totally. when the camera was built there's nothing better than that so i i like that sort of thing and i do i'm, I'm like you i like to see like what kind of stock was it printed on right exactly. how big was it you know i like that kind of thing i do like to amass those things but i also keep folders even if i buy the physical object if i haven't found it on butkus.org or one of the other right. websites i'd scan it myself <laughs> Oh, wow. To have a PDF of the same thing. So I have a big library of PDFs that I've scanned of a lot. Or also, if I can find a contemporaneous review, now I'm really giving you a glimpse behind the curtain. I'm yeah, realizing. here it comes. If I can find a contemporaneous review and scan it in, I like to sort of keep as much material about the uh, camera as possible. There was, there's a site in the, in the United Kingdom called Old Timer Cameras mm-hmm. where you can order reprints of reviews of a camera from the from when the camera came out so in other words if you like the voigtlander vito 2a you can basically go on that site and they will send you a little perfect bound uh reproduction of you know whatever uh amateur photographer uh popular photography modern photographer like camera 35 Mm -hmm. like all the reviews of that camera from 1953 when that camera came out. I love that. I love that because I I love to find out information about a camera and find the history you know you know mike ekman has an amazing site where yes he has i just love like, what he does yeah he does yeah. amazing things and he also you know the reviews are you learn so much about the camera and what was going on at the time and yeah and Japan how camera was this, hunter the same yeah. thing they have some, they have some good reviews as well 
Yeah, I like learning particularly about how things that we just take for granted now through the lens metering or a hot shoe right. or you know um, open aperture metering, things like that, we're, those were technological advances. So like the Spotmatic F was the first Spotmatic that didn't stop down the meter. Right. So we use a Spotmatic F now, we don't think anything of it, right. but that was considered like a big technological advance at the time. And so I like kind of understanding where the camera fits into sort of the history of uh, camera design. Right, no, that's great. Particularly when it's like, I love the blind alleys too. Right. Like one of, <laughs> I think I told you, my first SLR was a Canon EF, which has metered exposures on the shutter dial down to 30 seconds. Wow. I can't think of any other camera that has that. There, of course, are later cameras that will meter to 30 seconds, but their readout is an LCD, right. right? This is an actual physical dial that goes down to 30 seconds. You would think that was something, maybe Canon was ahead of the curve, and maybe Nikons were gonna have that next year, but they never did. Right. So like those kind of blind alleys in camera design are really interesting to me. Right, too. so cool. Um, do you have favorite books on camera collecting specifically? Well, there's, I, I'm a, um, <laughs> if you haven't learned by listening, um, I like pictures <laughs> as ah, opposed okay. to reading. Um, yes, got it. So there is a book, um, the, uh, the Todd Gustafson, The History of Photography, which oh, okay. is a great book and visual. And, you know, I think it's, I have it, it's, um, uh, from daguerreotype to digital. <laughs> oh, I think I have that one here. Somewhere. It's a good one. Yeah, it's okay. I just like yeah. I really like ones with with pictures and things like that and and sort of other people's experiences with the cameras. I love those books as well and um there's some great, you know, Roloflex books and Yeah. You know, I and also the um some are just amazing to go through. You know, Leica has these incredible Oh my giant God. books that just you know you just yes. get a history lesson and what was going on and it's fantastic and the books are as collectible and expensive as the cameras themselves right right I've yeah i have a couple i think i have one of the volumes of the james lager right like a camera and it's crazy they go for like three five hundred dollars like a complete set for like seven hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> It's crazy, but I, I, there's one book in particular that I like, and I always recommend to people as sort of an introduction to camera collecting, which is, I'm going to pronounce this guy's name wrong, Ivor Matanli. Mm -hmm. Do you know this book, Collecting and Using Classic Cameras? He, I guess, was one of the reviewers for Amateur Photographer. I think he passed away a few years ago, but he did a book called Collecting and Using Classic Cameras, and then a sequel called Collecting and Using Classic SLRs, which is sort of a survey of the period of camera collecting that I like the most, which is like 1950 to 1980. Right. Um, even though there's some like on either side of that, but really thoughtful reviews from a guy who was there when these cameras came out. And so he's able to talk about, it's not quite as pictorial as I think you might like Gabe. Right. Well, um, <laughs> but, but you know, so it's got some pictures in there, but it is talking about where these cameras sort of fit into the history of the technology. Right. The other thing I love these books are a little harder to come by, but Jason Schneider, who I believe was the camera collecting columnist for Popular Photography, and is still out there posting on Rangefinder Forum oh, I all love the that. time. Love that. He has a three-volume series called Jason Schneider on Camera Collecting, which reprints a lot of his articles, which again are contemporaneous articles right. about these cameras, and 
it is very visual and I love that one too. And it's a three volume set and they're, they go fairly reasonably priced, but really worth looking into in terms of- Oh, life. I'll definitely check those out. Yeah, they're not quite as camera porny as some of like, <laughs> I have a book called 500 Cameras, yes, which I is have nothing, that but, Very yes, important. nothing but gorgeous pictures of cameras. Yep. But those are my favorites. And the other thing, and these are really hard to come by, unfortunately. I love Consumer Reports and Consumer Guide used to do collections in the 1970s yep. of their camera views, and they're really hard to find. But what a treasure trove. Yeah. Because like they, they go into every detail of a particular camera, even like which shutter dials are harder to rotate than others or which aperture scales are harder to read in mm -hmm. the dark. Like they really attack it as if they're ta attacking a microwave oven, right. which I find kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of my, a lot of the cameras that I became fascinated with, like, you know, the Olympus 35RC or the Petri Color 35 or the Alpo, whatever, those were all cameras that I initially read about in those consumer guide magazines. It's wow. like the year-end supplement from oh, like 1975 great. or whatever. I want to just move on to one little topic before we go to our camera spotlight section. Mm -hmm. You and I both work in the medium of television. You mm -hmm. also work in film. Have you ever stopped a shoot to run over to an extra and tell them how to use a camera properly? Yes. Which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. But in the nicest way possible. Um, there are, especially with the night shift, but there, there have been, there's also been times where I've given a character, which I try to do a lot, a camera. And, okay. Um, the interesting thing is the actor, Chris Lowell, who is in uh, our show Life as We Know It, I, I had an old Leica M4 and he knew nothing about photography. And I just loaded it with film every time. And he was shooting and shooting. Chris is like an amazing photographer. He's had yeah. shows with Dave LaChapelle. I mean, he's a wow. huge photographer wow. now. And so it's very fun to see when he, he was so nice. He's credited me in like Rolling Stone and like he's done the interviews. Oh, that's so Gabe great. put the camera, you know, and it, it's, it's that kind of camera that I sort of got into it. Um, Okay, go back to the question because I'm now I'm like okay, so, completely no, so no, no, wait. So let, let me stay on that for a minute. So you made so you decided this camera, this character shot with an M4. Yeah, right? but I just do that because you know I did that in in you know when we did sitcoms. I I'd always want to have like something in the background or you know yeah you know some kind of camera. But there when there's ever a reporter or there's reporters you know trying to get questioning someone in a scene. And they're holding the camera, you know, where there's nothing there. Or I'll notice that even in, um, in, in like The Undoing, which is this great yeah. show, uh, the press photographer, they're shooting, 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 but there's nothing on the, on the digital, nothing uh, on the window. So yeah. they're shooting, shooting, shooting. I'm going, oh, my gosh, why isn't there anything on the window? No one would bother noticing that. But I was like, oh, my gosh. I am crazy for this kind of, I mean, we all, obviously, since we work in the business, we are fixated on film, you know, filmic errors right, and right, continuity right, right. errors and so forth. But when I see in a film or a TV show, somebody holding the camera wrong, yeah. or, you know, or a camera that doesn't have a flash, creating a flash effect. Or the somebody sound is shot, wrong. The sound of the camera's wrong, or there's the sound of a motor drive yes. for a camera that has no motor drive. By the way, 600 people just turned off and said, these guys ah! are crazy. <laughs> These guys have literally lost their mind. 
I was directing an episode of The Odd Couple, the multi-camera, re- not the one from with Jack Klugman. I'm not that old, but the remake with Matthew Perry. There was a scene at a press conference, and there were three or four. Uh, we call them atmosphere. What do, we, do we call them that? Atmosphere? No. What do we call them? Background, background players. Background, background players. players. Artists. I background went over artists. To, I went over to three or four background artists who were holding the SLR wrong. And I said, you don't have your hand on top of the lens. You cradle the lens and you look through and you push the button with this finger. I said, it'll, I said, photographers will care and I will care. Right. And so I did, I stopped a rehearsal to go over. You know, you're not really technically supposed to talk to the background artist. You're supposed to have an AD do it, but I asked permission so I could speak to the background artist and explain to them how to hold the camera properly. And I feel like, like you and Chris Lowell, I wonder if those little moments sometimes ignite just a just a tickle of interest. Right, like I want to For that shoot. person. Right. Like maybe I want to learn about cameras. I feel like I'm educating as well as entertaining. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. It does, it does make me, it makes me a little crazy when I see it. It's a little distracting. Yeah. I mean, we have to watch monitors. That's our job. So it's sort of, it's one of those things that you go, oh. Gosh, no one's going to care about this. No one's going to care. Like my producing partner, Jeff, would be like, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) Which he said many times. Not one person cares. Listen, I'm sure if you're a guitarist and you're watching someone who's playing guitar and they're making a sound with the guitar that you couldn't possibly make with that fingering, it probably drives you crazy. Or someone is going like this with a clarinet and they clearly don't know how to play the clarinet. Like. And yes, and we yet we appreciate it. You know, like I watched Queen's Gambit. I'm an avid chess player. I appreciate that those games are all very real and that the people know how to handle the chess pieces the way that a real player would handle it. And they know how to handle their chess clocks the way a real player would handle it. It just respects the medium. Right. I'm with you. That's how I like to think I'm of it. I'm with you. As opposed to thinking of it we're as... We're just crazy. I have an... I have, yes, exactly. As opposed <laughs> to just... We're just crazy. We're just crazy. Yep. Exactly. All right. We've come to the part of the show where we're going to do just a little spotlight. A little spotlight on a camera that each of us treasures or hates or loves or is thinking <laughs> about keeping or thinking about getting rid of. Let's start with you, Gabe. What camera do you want to talk about so today? So this camera is one I picked up. Uh, someone was selling the camera and three lenses in the plastic bubbles and the whole thing and it wasn't very expensive but i loved how it looked this is a camera i knew nothing about and that's the um zeiss icon contrax bullseye oh gosh that's pretty and i just love the way this thing looks i love how it sounds it's one of those, you know, you just, it's, everything about it is just sort of the- Give me, give me most. a fire the shutter of that thing, if you don't mind. Oh, that's nice. So that's very nice. I'm very- that, Is that a, talk to me, I don't know much about the bullseye other than recognizing it. Is that an SLR or a rangefinder camera? Uh, this is an SLR. What is the and big it has bullseye a, on the front? It has a, this is the meter- Oh, okay. That was the meter, and that's why it was called the bullseye, because of this meter. Okay. And um, again, like to learn about this, like Mike Ekman has a great article uh, on it, and it's uh, Zeiss Zeiss Icon Contrax Bullseye 1960, and it came out last year, about a year ago, and it is just fantastic. It just, it tells you about, and I just How did you become interested in it? I I love the design of it. 
I just love, I saw it. I didn't knew nothing about it. I loved how it looked. I loved that it had that bullseye in the front. I loved the yeah. sound of it. And then I learned why he sold it. And he sold it because they are, it's a heavy camera. Yeah. And really heavy. And that's sort of what, I think that's what, what happened to this camera. It was over-designed. And yeah. to the point it is, you know, impossible to fix. I think barely anyone works on them. I love how the pictures look on it. Like, I just, I just it's love Zeiss it. Lenses, it's Zeiss course. lenses, of course. So they're amazing. And it came with um, a 35-50 and a 135. <gasps> and wow. I just love it. I love shooting with it. But again, it's really, really heavy. It's one of those things yeah. that it's... Um, it's it's not as heavy as a six seven, but it's it's cl- close. And that's a thirty five millimeter camera. Thirty five millimeter. Wow, I love it. But, so not through the lens meter, but it has a meter. Yeah, it it, it has um, a meter. It's it's in the it has the it's the needle. Oh, needle it's in the, the fine. needle, and the okay. shape is like a TV, of course, which I love looking oh, through. I and love uh, that. I'll bring this over when I see you next. It's um, you know I've seen pictures of them, but seeing it in your hand, it is larger than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's it's pretty big, <laughs> but it is. I love the pictures that come from it. I I love shooting with it, but it is it is a trek when you are putting that in a bag and another lens. It's it's very heavy, but I I just I, I love it in design and you know, early 60s and and just sort of, you know, one of those cameras that I think they spent so much time, you know, designing it. And I think it's, yeah. again, I think it's impossible to fix. I'm sure someone fixes now, it. But again, this is a dopey question, but is this East German Zeiss, like Zeiss Jena or whatever it is, or is it Zeiss? Here, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, as soon as I can find my eyes, I can, I can tell right. you a, a little, I uh, a little uh, something for you. Okay. Uh, it's the, the thing I like about which Mike Ekman writes, it's one of the most expensive, one of the most complex in design and use, and to some, one of the most beautiful. It is lovely. It's the, uh, the, yes, I get it. The, uh, the script, the Contorex logo, the script is very pretty too. No, it's, it's really, uh, you know, I think it's great, but when were um, you last out shooting with that? And this was, um, I think Stuttgart. That's where this is from. Okay. This, um, right. When was I out shooting with this? Probably yeah. six months ago. Okay. All right. And, well, and what was the occasion? What occasion? Just to shoot, that camera doing out? some portraits. You know, trying yeah. it out, seeing if it still worked. Which yeah. Is always my fear. Um, sure. You have to exercise Especially when there's them. cameras that they say you can't fix anymore. That makes me crazy. Yeah. And it also makes me want to learn how to fix cameras. Yeah. But not really. Um, I understand. I, uh, but uh, but there was something about this design and and you know all the you know the knob design and and the lens barrel and the shade you know the giant shade and, that is great. But yep. I uh, that's one of my faves. All right, love it. Go that's for a it. Very Let me hear good what one. you got. Well, you know, it's not going to surprise you because I've talked about this camera. I was going to pick something else, but I figured let's get this one out of the way. The Alpa 11SI. Beautiful. Let's just get it out of the way because <laughs> this is my favorite and it's weird. And I feel like let's get it out of the way so we don't have to talk about it anymore. So <laughs> this camera was built in 1977. Um, it is was made by a company called Pignon, which literally means pinion, like gears. Right. Um, it was a 
Alpa started, uh, it was founded by Jacques Bolzi, who was later went on to design the Bolex. I did Same not guy. know that. And uh, it was one of the few SLR systems that was not made in uh, Germany, Japan, or the USA. Wow. Um, they were hand-built in vanishingly small quantities. The early Alpas are really strange. I think the one that you mentioned that you saw yeah. that had the 45-degree viewfinder. Exactly. Where, you you know, most some cameras you look down, some cameras you look forward. This one you look down at a 45-degree angle. Like, Alpa does everything differently. Right. It feels like a camera that was designed by people who had never seen cameras before. It, too, is very heavy. This is the last model they ever made, the 11SI was the last of the Alpa line. Its major innovation over the one that preceded it was it has not LEDs, but I believe they are actual incandescent bulbs in the viewfinder for exposure rather than a needle. So there is a green, yellow, and red Mm -hmm. in the viewfinder to help you get your exposure right. Um, It's got a lot of strangeness. I mean, even though it is a conventional penaprism and so forth it winds front to back i can't think of any other camera that does that Mm -hmm. any other slr of the era so in other words the thumb winder there is no thumb winder you wind it with your index (laughs) finger from the front back around to the back which allegedly is supposed to make it easier for you to shoot without taking the camera away from your eye right not the case the rewind is this very lovely parallelogram apparatus that again never seen it on any other camera it's really convenient it's got an extra little window inside of the accessory shoe where you can also see the three little indicators for oh, exposure. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, again, why would you do that? Everything with this camera is why would you do that? I mentioned the strap lugs right. that are threaded right. so you can remove them. Why would you do that? There's an interlock on the front of the camera, a three-position switch so you can lock the shutter to take a re- Oh, wow. Everything about it is odd. And it, when firing it, which I'm not going to do because, believe it or not, it's actually loaded— it makes an enormous slap sound, <laughs> like really loud. Actually, right. you know what? I'm going to take a picture right now of the screen oh, just perfect. so you can hear this thing. This is what we're going to do. So I'll take an actual photo, and you'll be able to hear what this sounds like. Here it goes. I mean, that's pretty That's loud. a cool sound, though. Yeah. I like that it's sound. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. No, it's no, I cool. understand this. Yeah, and the, the shutter release is on the front, but it's built into the barrel of the lens in a weird way. Everything is odd. Everything is odd. And I don't know why. Maybe it's the fact that this is a rare and exotic thing that makes me love it so much. Right. But most of my best photos in the last like eight years since I got this thing have been taken with this camera. Wow. The paint is wearing. It's got in- engravings. There's lots of things about it that are strange. But I adore it. So if you ever see an Alpha 11 SI. I will alert you. Yes. Jess. Particularly, this is in Chrome, and they only made 425 of them. Yeah, I don't think I'll Chrome. be seeing anyone soon. Crazy. <laughs> but that is my favorite, so I'm just getting that out of the way so we can move on to talking about other cameras from the collection in the future. There's just a few others. Just a few. <laughs> but that's my spotlight camera I love that day. camera. Before we depart, I want to mention, uh, I'm not sure this, I'm thinking this episode airs in January of 2021. Probably. Which is going to be a time of renewal. Yes. Wouldn't you agree, Gabe? Yes, it will be. A time of renewal. For us, we're going to launch our website for real, idreamofcameras.com. Yes. Where you will see links to all our episodes, pictures of cameras from our collection, episode summaries, and a link to our merch store featuring lots of I Dream of Cameras apparel, 
stickers, pillows, pins, baseball caps, coffee mugs, and other stuff featuring all of our groovy logos, which were designed by my brother. Uh, so you, yeah, so you will see all that stuff hopefully by the time this episode airs. Till then, Gabe, any final thoughts? I just, you know what? I, I'm, I'm now because you, you told me that I, you know, when was the last time you used this camera? I'm gonna go out and use this camera. There you now go. Now I feel like I I've got to get out there and use it. Yeah, well, it is a beautiful day here in California. I, I hate to tell you guys who are not here in California, it is. Let it's me see. Really it is nice. 68 and breezy outside. Beautiful. <laughs> what in any world, other world, would be a fall day. And if you haven't um, heard, there is. Um, there are only one, two, three, five houses being constructed on my block right now. <laughs> so I'm sure somewhere in the in the uh, podcast you will hear some pile drivers yeah you know stuff yes. like that don't worry about it yeah no problem <laughs> so listen as always we encourage you to get in touch with us share your stories share your obsessions with ephemera and lenses, anything you want flashes, us to talk about anything we you want us to talk about we love yes we've gotten wonderful feedback on the episodes to date um we want to thank the gang at sunny 16 for making us part of their family and uh please tune in again for the next pulse pounding episode I dream of cameras. Until then, I'm Jeff Greenstein, S. Jeff Greenstein on Instagram. I'm Gabe Sachs, at Gabe Sachs on Instagram. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much, everyone.